Well, my wife doesn't often do this. In fact, she even in her little email stated that she sent a, a picture with some words, you know, one of those forwards. You, you get that from some people who are sending you stuff all the time. Well, my wife rarely does that, but she sent something this last week, and it really touched my heart, and it touched hers. And you see these five people sitting on the edge of a dock looking out over the water. And the words are, One day, a woman's husband died. And on that clear, cold morning, in the warmth of their bedroom, the wife was struck with the pain of learning that sometimes there isn't any more. No more hugs. No more special moments to celebrate together. No more phone calls just to chat. No more just one minute. Sometimes what we care about the most gets all used up and goes away. Never to return before we can say goodbye or say I love you. So while we have it, it's best we love it, care for it, fix it when it's broken, and heal it when it's sick. This is true for marriage and old cars and children with bad report cards and dogs with bad hips and aging parents and grandparents. We keep them because they are worth it, because we are worth it. We value them. Life is important. Like people, we know who are special, and so we keep them close. I read that, and I wondered if my wife had a hidden message for me, but um, no. um, I like what it says, because it's very close to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, after he has talked all about how you can be in relationship with God and with one another. And then at one point he says in verse 8, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. If you're going to be in debt, the one debt you should carry with someone else is love. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. He's basically saying you can go back to Adam, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, through the prophets, through Jesus himself. And Paul is saying all those who were given the law and the commands and were living by him, what they fulfilled it with was with this debt of love. And so as I've been looking at this series about relational healing and and we've been speaking about uh, how do you handle conflict because conflict is inevitable. And because it's inevitable, we actually find early on in our life that we resort to these natural ways of protecting ourselves and these natural patterns of dealing with conflict. And we, we learn how to deal with it from the very place that we grew up. And usually those may not be the best ways to deal with it, whether it's avoidance or aggression or however it comes out. So we've talked about the fact that we need a supernatural, we need a heavenly wisdom that, that we need to be open to that will help us move into conflict because conflict is, is not something that we can ever hope won't happen. And when it does, we have to have a perspective about it. And it's an opportunity. We talked about it being an assignment that God allows for us to to enter into. And we begin to see conflict in those ways, recognizing it's going to come up. We say, okay, God, how can we through this glorify you? How can we serve someone else in love? And then how can I grow through this process? And then there's this incredible thing that God talks about in his word. In fact, it centers around this truth. 
because of conflict and because of the fact that we will have people who will injure us, some who will maybe injure us out of malice and, and really desiring to hurt us. And sometimes they'll injure us and not even be aware of it. And however it happens, it doesn't matter. But what happens when you get the injury and you get the wound, it creates a, 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 a separation, an alienation from another person. And as a result of that, something has to be done. And God gives this incredible gift called forgiveness. Think about it for a second. There are sometimes illnesses that we are aware of that just can't be healed. There isn't a cure for it. And how incredibly difficult that is if, if you know of someone who, who has an illness and it can't. And, and we're always looking for the cure, right? If we could just get that cure. Well, when it comes to relationships and the brokenness and the separation and the pain and all the poison that begins to, to develop within those relationships that cut us off from one another and cut us off from God, there is something that God gives it as an incredible cure, and it comes through Jesus Christ, and it's a word called forgiveness. God gives forgiveness, and he gives it to us so that we can employ it and use it in relationship with other people. In order that we can continue to be in relationship and not cut off. So let me just share with you from God's word some basic truths about forgiveness that are important to know. As you begin to think about maybe in your life. And as I'm preaching and, and, and teaching about this, it may come to your mind. There may be someone that just comes up to your mind that you go, boy, I'm not in relationship with. Or through this week, you may have a conflict with God will call you to move into it. Here are some truths you need to know. First of all, forgiveness is a choice, and you must make it. Forgiveness is a choice, and you're the one who has to make it. The reason I say that is because no one else will do it for you. You know, it won't magically go away. When there's an offense, there's an injury, and, and you feel it, and it's happened, or you have done it to someone else, it just doesn't disappear. In fact, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse, 30, verse 31, and through chapter 5, verse 2, Paul is writing about this to a group in Ephesus. It's a pretty healthy church for the most part, but there were still these relational conflicts, and there was need for relational healing. So at a certain point, he says in verse 31, I want you folks, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And here's the key, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Verse one, he says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul's point is pretty simple. You need to get rid of the junk that gets in the way of relationship. And you need to begin to, be, to allow the kindness and compassion that you've experienced from God in your own life to begin to flow through you. And you guess what? In this process, you're going to have to use forgiveness. You must choose to forgive. In the New Testament, forgiveness comes from a Greek word which literally means to send away or to put away. The word was used often in the idea of releasing someone from an obligation of marriage or a debt that someone may have, or maybe a vow you've taken religiously. That word used to forgive meant that you would send it away or you'd put it away or you'd let go of it so that that commitment no longer had to be kept. And it eventually evolved into the idea of releasing someone from punishment for some wrongdoing. 
In the Old Testament, the clearest picture of the use of this word is when there was a time when Israel once a year would bring their, um, they would recognize the sin that is separated from God, themselves from God, the guilt and the shame and all that would keep them separate from him. They would, as a people, take all the sins of the people and they would put them on this goat that they would send out of the village and into the desert. And it was the idea that it was forgiveness or they were letting go or they were putting away, they were sending off. The injury. God was letting them know he was putting it away so that it no longer would remove them from him. So in a real sense, what forgiveness is, is a choice that you make. It is not in any way based in feelings. In fact, if you think that by, by um, uh, talking about forgiveness, it's, it's something that you begin to ponder about and you pray about. And as you keep praying about it, and you pray for the person. Eventually, you're going to feel like forgiving that person. It just isn't the way forgiveness works. It's not based in your feelings. In fact, forgiveness will never occur if you wait till you feel like forgiving. If you look at verse 32, forgiveness is a choice and we're called to make it, even when we don't feel like it. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. If you look at verse 32, he says, forgive just like Christ, as Christ did, and in it God was forgiving you. Be imitators of God and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself. If you read through that, feelings aren't mentioned. Really, it's all about choices. You could read it this way. Imitate God, choose to live a life of love, just as Christ chose to love us and chose to give himself up for us as a sacrifice. So feeling like forgiving has nothing to do with it. In fact, if you think about Jesus Christ all around the cross, you don't see feelings in that. When you look at how Christ, it says at one point that Jesus, Luke says that he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. He was resolved to go ahead and to allow God's forgiveness to take place so that we could be free from the injury that we had caused other peoples in him. And so when you think about Jesus on the cross, Jesus wasn't, you know, when, when his disciples deserted him in the Garden of Gethsemane, I don't think he was feeling like real gushy feelings of warmth and love for his disciples necessarily at that point, right? Like, oh, I'm, I feel like forgiving them. Or you think about the fact that if these Roman guards are around him and they're making sport of him and they're beating him and they're, they're placing these crown of thorns on his head, do you think at any point there were feelings of, boy, I, I really like you guys? I don't think he was praying, now, God, you know, give me feelings. To, and so as you continue to read on, you see Jesus being... Pounded onto a cross and hoisted up in the air and there's people around him mocking and making fun of him and, and throwing insults towards him. And at one point as he's, sitting, as he's on the cross and he, I don't think he's feeling like forgiving, but he chooses to say, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. Because forgiveness is a choice. And it will, it will take all the determination you can muster at times. In fact, um, I remember how hard the choice was. One of the first times God really started teaching me about this whole thing of forgiveness. I mean, I, I knew about it as a kid, and, and yet in many ways, um, I have a brother who's two years older than me, and so when we would fight, um, how many have brothers or sisters that you would fight with? Okay, just go back to those days. I learned how to fight with an older brother, and, and when he would hurt me, inside of me I would either feel hurt or you could move to self-pity, you know, all these different places you can go to. But one thing was true about all of it. I would want him to hurt as much as he hurt me. Ever felt that way for someone? 
I am not going to let go of this, you turkey, until you feel as bad about this as I do. Which is a really interesting thing, because the measure is my own subjective feeling. And so I remember getting married and having a fight early on with my wife. I had learned how to fight with my brother. I remember one time I even raised my voice and my wife was like shaking. I'm going, whoa, this is really different. I mean, brothers, yelling was kind of a natural thing. She started to cry. I'm going, whoa, I can't do that. But one thing I continued to do is I felt hurt and I felt self-pity. I felt like she hurt me and I was going to make her pay. And I remember this, this moment, because it's so clear. You know, you have those kind of moments at times in your life when it's really clear. And I'm, I'm trying to follow God in my life at this point. And, and she's across the kitchen counter from me. And I'm angry holding her hostage to my pain and anger. And she looks at me, bless her heart, and says, You can hold on to your hurt or you can choose to let it go. And we can continue and move on. That that sounds really simple for the rest of you. I am a slow learner. But it was one of the most difficult. I remember just sitting there processing this, processing this, because this wasn't a typical pattern and habits. It was, it was, you know, everything inside of me, this crazy notion of letting go and, and putting the resentment and anger aside. And, and I remember all that stuff going on. And at the same time, I began to hear the still small voice. And it wasn't my wife's. Um, it was the Holy Spirit. And it was just saying, do it. Send it away. Put it out. Make the choice. I had a moment to trust and obey and to do that or not. And I chose to do it. And from that time, the Lord has been teaching me through that, that habit of doing the hard thing and just saying, okay, this is, why is it so hard? Well, the next thing I want to share with you is why I think it's so hard. Because not only is forgiveness a choice that you need to make, forgiveness has a cost. And you pay it. That's the bad news of it. There is a cost and you pay it. I like what C.S. Lewis says about forgiveness. He says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Right? Oh, yeah, forgiveness. What a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Forgiveness sounds great until you examine it closely and you see what it costs. It, It may be really easy to forgive what I call the nickel and dime dents that you get through life. But when you start getting into those sizable hits that nearly total you, that's a whole different matter, isn't it? I mean, some of you who are here have had some childhood trauma where you have either um, had a parent or you've had an uncle or aunt or a neighbor or someone who's abused you. And you have been inflicted in your spirit to such a degree the pain is so great that it's, it's messed up a good part of your whole life. Some of you have, have gone through life and, and maybe you had just some dings and some, you know, those nickel and dime things. And then all of a sudden when you get into a relationship, maybe with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or maybe you even got into a marriage. And as you're into this, this relationship, you, you find that the person has betrayed you totally. And, and, and now you've gotten total. And you, it's like you've been wiped out. And what do you do? I mean, how do you handle that kind of pain? It's real easy to talk about forgiveness and, and making the choice. But now you've got to start talking about the cost. And the fact that you're going to end up paying something. Those times when you've been injured and assumed such a debt 
that the person's bill from your perspective just seems beyond payment. And you think there is nothing, I mean nothing, that they could ever do to pay it back. You felt that? Well, you know what? You're right. You're exactly right. There is nothing that they could do that could really pay it back. Because forgiveness has a cost. It has a price. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God. This idea that you will, like Jesus, have to take the sacrifice and you're going to have to offer it to God. In fact, like the older brother, you'll have to make an offering and a sacrifice. Like Jesus who picked up the tab and offered it to his father. When it comes to forgiveness, let me share with you, the pain that you've experienced, the injury that you have, the wound that you have, you have taken the hit and and what you have to do when you recognize what Jesus did, if you want to begin to see this healing begin in your life, forgiveness is this. You take the cost and you put it before God. You put it at the feet of the cross, if you want to put it that way. Okay? And you give it to him. And just like Jesus, the pain and, and all that he had suffered and, and experienced in the cross was because of our injury, because of our own sin, because of our own offense to God and, and the offenses we have to other that we could never pay back. Not one person here. In fact, you may be here today and this may be the state of your soul. You may feel the guilt and the incredible shame in your own heart and the separation from God. And you've wondered in your heart, how in the world can I pay it back? What do I need to do? Is there any way? And you'll recognize that you really can't. The only way you could is to give your own life. But that won't even do it. Because God wants you to live for Him now and live with Him now. And so what He says is that's eternal separation unless somehow He Himself models for us and He takes the pain, He through Jesus forgives us, He assumes all of that debt of pain and He takes it and He offers it, Jesus does, to His own Father. And that's the kind of model that you have. That's what Jesus does. And if you feel that shame and that guilt and you're saying, how can I pay it back? Here's the good news of forgiveness. It has been done through someone who loves you so much that he takes the cost and he bears it himself. And so it's the same thing when we talk about forgiving someone else. You are acting like Jesus did. You're taking in assuming and saying, Father, I give you this. And the scars of that wound, just like the scars in the hands of Christ resemble the love and show the love of God. And so that through you as you do that, you begin to express God's love. And you allow opportunity for there to potentially be relationship again. But you have to pay the cost. I uh, had a car that I, that I, it was a new car. I liked this car. And it was one of those you like to drive. You could, you know, you can, you know when you get a nice car, you can, like even the smell of it, Right? Well, I didn't have it that long, and I got rear-ended. How many, you know, when you have dings and stuff like that in your car, it's okay, but when you get rear-ended on a new car, that's a bummer. And, and I remember being upset about it. And even though the insurance was there, I still had to pay a certain amount of money. It cost me the loss of my vehicle. It cost me time and paperwork. It cost me the inconvenience of getting a loaner car. The hassle of estimates. The time of repair and the fact that it, it that I went when I when I'd have to go to sell it. And if someone asked me about an accident, I'd have to lie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's been hit. 
You know, forgiveness is that you take the hit and there's no way anybody can ever pay it back. And, and if you don't take the cost and give it to God, you'll be held hostage by someone's hurt all your life. Because they can never fully pay it back. They can't take away the hassle. They can't take away and make it like it's new. They can't make it like it's never happened. They can't undo what's been done. And so if you don't come to the point where you recognize, just like God took the hit for you and he assumed it through Jesus and he brought it back, you, in a sense, say, God, I need you to take this cost and I bring it before your feet and I use it as an offering for you that someone else's life might have freedom like my life. But forgiveness is also a gift and you get to give it. Here's the really good news of forgiveness. When you forgive, it may appear that you're giving the greatest gift to the one who injured you, right? But to your surprise, you end up receiving the greatest gift out of the deal. The gift that you think you're giving to someone else, you're really the one who's getting the gift because what God does in this process is the hook they've had in your life as a result of that wound and injury, which ties you to the past with all these feelings and all these thoughts and keeps you stuck In forgiving, you actually, by letting go and sending it away, are unhooking yourself from that person and from that injury and from all that stuff that was in the past, and you're setting yourself free. That's why God gives you forgiveness. Yes, you're giving them the opportunity, if they choose, to move into relationship with you. God, through His Son, gives you the opportunity to be in relationship with Him. If you choose, it just doesn't happen. But as you receive that, that as you choose that, that to forgive, you get unhooked from that past. You get unhooked from that person and you are now free to live and express God's heart and love. In essence, by failing to give yourself the gift of forgiveness, you end up hurting yourself and those you love around you. You end up hurting yourself again And again, and again, and again, every time you're reminded, every time the anger inside you comes up, every time the bitterness is there, and many times after you live with it, you forget it's even there. You don't even see it. You don't even know it. Other people do. They see it. And the cost grows greater with every day. And failing to forgive, God said, will actually bankrupt your soul. You will pay a price. When you forgive, you free the one who wronged you. In a sense, you let them off the hook, but remember this. You never let them off God's hook. That's for God to deal with. You have basically said, God, I unhooked them and and I'm giving them to you. In the same way I gave you this cost and sacrifice, I give them and I pray for them and I ask you to work in their heart and you begin to move into that kind of a place. But you remember this, they're still on God's hook. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, don't take revenge. You know that thing in the kitchen? Don't try and make the other person hurt. But leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And then let me share with you one other thing that I think is incredibly important when we talk about forgiveness. Not only is it a choice you have to make, not only is it a cost that you end up paying, and not only is it true that you get a gift from it, but it also takes time. Every injury needs time to heal. And the deeper and the more painful the injury, the harder and longer it often takes to heal. 
What's really amazing, though, sometimes God does immediate healings. He's so gracious. But sometimes because he's doing something deep within the character of our being, he allows for it to take. It's time to heal. A common question I get from people is they say, you know, but when I, I, I forgave and I, I, I did that, why is it when I chose to forgive, I still feel hatred, I still feel anger? Why is it when I hear that person's name, I still get all upset? When I certain, you know, even in the certain situations where I smell certain smells, all of a sudden this anger comes up in me. Why, why is that? Why don't those feelings just go away? Because forgiveness is that one-time choice that you choose again and again. And, and as you continue to do that over time, God begins to deal with it and begins to heal all that stuff. I heard a, um, Corey Tenboom. Some of you may uh, know her just by her name, but I remember um, hearing her tell a story once. She was a, a person who was in a Nazi uh, concentration camps and endured incredible pain and injury. And she was talking about this whole thing about forgiving. She was talking about the hard choice it is to first forgive. And then it's this choice to forgive again and again. And, and she shared it this way. She said, here's what it's like. She said, forgiveness takes time. It is like taking the rope of a bell in a bell tower. Anybody ever done that? You know, you, you get that rope and, and that bell's way up there. And the heavier the bell is, the, the harder it is to get it to move. And so you take that, that rope and you pull, and the first thing you pull, it just pulls a little bit, and you, you maybe hear a little bit of the thing kind of swinging up above, but you hear nothing, no sound. It doesn't look like anything's taking place, although you've chosen to give all your weight to make this thing ring, and it doesn't do a thing. So what you do is you do it one more time, and you begin to pull, and it swings a little bit more, and you do it again, and then you do it again, and then finally you hear a little ding. You're pretty excited. And so you continue to pull. And as you pull, it gets momentum. And you hear a little ding, 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 ding. And eventually you're pulling. And it's going so fast that you can actually go like this. And it's ringing really loud, right? And it's going so good that you can sometimes step away from it and then just go like that, right? It's just ringing out clear. Well, that's what forgiveness, she says, like. What happens is the first time you do it, it's so hard. It seems like nothing happens. You still have all these feelings, but you do it again and you choose to do it again. And after a while, as you continue to stay in forgiveness and you continue to to choose it over and over again, you continue to actually walk in forgiveness. It begins to develop a momentum. And in that momentum, God begins to heal your heart and he does things within you that only he can do. And so forgiveness is that simple choice where you pay a price and give it to God. And as you do that, you begin to set yourself free to really live for God. And He begins to start doing things in you. And as you do that again and again, you begin to walk in that. I uh, read this story from Corey Tenboom that talks about um, when she first forgave. Barry Wallace begins and he tells about her story. He says, at times, he says, it's fine. We find it really hard, if not impossible, to forgive those who've hurt us most. Wallace tells this story. He says, in the mid-70s, not long after I became a Christian, I heard about a woman who had spent time in the Nazi concentration camps for hiding um, Jews in her home during the Holocaust. Fifty-two and unmarried, she had lived at home with her elderly father and older sister, Betsy. All three of them had been sent to concentration camps when the Nazis discovered they were hiding Jewish refugees. The woman's name was Corrie Tenboom. Corrie, he says, lost her freedom, her dignity, and her beloved sister and father in a span of a few months in those concentration camps. In God's providence, 
Corey was released due to a clerical error just one week before the other women in Ravensbrook, who were her age, were executed. After the war, Corey was invited to speak all over the world, and she tirelessly traveled the globe, thankful for every opportunity she was given to tell people about Christ, his love, and his forgiveness. She always marveled at God's infinite mercy towards sinners like you and like me and like us. She also knew that everyone who had received God's mercy had no choice but to show mercy to others. And she knew from her own experience that that wasn't always easy. So she tells this story in her book. She says, it was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrook. He was the first of our actual jailers. That's the first time I had seen him since then. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men. The heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain blanched face. As this was all going on within her, she says, he came up to me at the end of the service as the church was emptying, and he was beaming and bowing before me, saying, how grateful I am for your message, Fräulein. To think that, as you say, he's washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I who had preached so often to the people in Blumenthal, the need to forgive, I kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of those thoughts. Jesus Christ had died for this man, and was I going to ask him for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. She writes, I tried to smile. I I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so I again breathed the silent prayer to the Lord. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I raised my hand in obedience, I took his hand and the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder all along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him while in my... To my heart sprang a love for the stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not our own forgiveness any more than our own goodness that the world's healing hinges on, but on God's. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives us, along with the command, the love itself. I mean, some of you know that. You're stuck. All he's saying is give that choice over to him and in obedience raise your hand and heart to him we're only to take the first steps of obedience and faith and ask him to begin to supply the love so that we can forgive that last part of the song that you heard the verse that talked about um, getting up and walking and and the work of the power of God that can happen in your life when you forgive was written as a result of Maureen and what God's done in Maureen's life. And I've asked Maureen Pranghoff if she would share her story. Uh, you need to know that forgiveness does powerful things. It not just sets you free. It actually sets free the energy of God into your own life. 
He takes these emotions that we've directed in places that shouldn't be. You know, emotions are just energy in motion. And he begins to start doing things with that. That is life-changing. So I'm going to ask Maureen in a moment. She's just going to share with us and tell us how God has worked in her life through this, this simple choice, yet difficult choice of forgiveness. I think everybody and their dog is settled now. <laughs> and it's a pleasure to be here. Um, to put my testimony into a five-minute period is a real challenge for me because there's so many different pieces of it. But I want to concentrate on the journey that God has taken me on that began in 2006. I was born legally blind and with a rare bone disease that causes my bones to break easily, so I've had over a hundred fractures. But those disabilities were compounded when I was in a serious car accident in 1996. That accident left me with a condition called complete quadriparesis. I was unable to use my legs. I couldn't hold anything in my left hand that was heavier than a cup of coffee. I couldn't hold things in my right hand. I didn't have any use of my trunk muscles, so if I wasn't strapped into my power wheelchair, I had to be laying down. But you saw me walking around, moving my hands freely. You'll see me playing guitar in a little minute. And how did that happen? Well, it began in 2006 when I was in the hospital for my 33rd surgery. And out of sheer boredom, I turned on the Catholic channel and a priest was talking, and he said, Start talking to God the Father. Talk to him all the time. Well, I thought about that, because I'd known Jesus personally since I was 16. And I would say the Our Father, but otherwise, I don't think I talked to God the Father much. And I started doing that. I started talking to him about everything. Ranging from what should I have for breakfast to what does that mean in the scriptures? Just everything. Talking to God the Father in the name of Jesus. And I think when we do that, God searches our hearts and he uses the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us. And about six weeks after I was out of the hospital, I talked to an elderly relative. And she was talking about my mother. And when I hung up the phone, I realized that I had immense anger toward my mother. And I was surprised, because I thought all of our lifelong issues had been taken care of before she died in 2004. But here they were, all this stuff that had gone on my whole life. And then I didn't know what to do. How do you forgive someone that's dead? So I started talking to a friend of mine, and she said, Reconciliation is when you go to a person and you talk things out and you work things out. I couldn't do that. Mom wasn't here. And sometimes it's not wise to go reconcile with someone. If they've been a really abusive person, it's not safe. But the deal is, it's always safe to go to God. And we can always go and repent. So that's what I did. I realized I was angry. You know, sometimes, um, Kevin alluded to this, 
that it's really easy to see the anger in other people and to go, wow, that person's so angry. Or that person is so afraid. But they might not see it. So it's not about them. It's about me. And I realized that I had made a choice to be angry toward my mom. And I told God I wasn't in agreement with that. And I repented. And repenting doesn't just mean, oh God, I'm really sorry for that. Repenting means make a decision that you're not going to do that again. You're going to turn around, turn the opposite way from where you were going. And that's what I did. And I asked God to forgive me for carrying that anger. And he did. And 24 hours later, when my caregiver came, my body strength had doubled. So I was like, whoa, what's that about? How come I'm moving in bed by myself? What's the relationship between forgiveness and why would that affect my physical body? And I started asking God. I started looking at scripture. I started reading with my pastor. And it brought me to a place in January 2007 where for the first time in 52 years, I said, God, what do I need to do to be healed? And as clear as day, as clear as I'm talking to you now, he said, repent of gluttony. Well, guess what the issues between my mom and I were about? They were about food. So that made some sense to me, and it's still something I struggle with. But as God has revealed things to me in the past two years, what I've come to learn is that gluttony is way more than stuff about food. Gluttony means we want more because we think we don't have enough. But I have enough. I have God the Father. I have Jesus Christ. And I have the Holy Spirit. And that's enough. And when I realize that I'm wanting more, I repent for it. And it's still very much a process that I'm working on. God is so faithful. And um, so that was January of 2007. I was led from there to a ministry called Be in Health, which teaches that there are spiritual roots behind many diseases. And I started practicing the things that I learned from them. And in April of 2007, the scoliosis that I'd have had since I was five, which was related to my bone disease, went away. And people saw a visible change in, within an hour. A month, and that's been confirmed by x-rays, had spine x-rays um, in June of 2008, and they came back normal. So it's been medically verified. In May of 2007, I got sensation back. In July of 2007, I started using my right hand good enough to eat and hold a fork, something I hadn't been able to do since 1996. And I met with a pastor, and he said, you need some medical verification that something's changing. So I went to Sister Kenny and began a long series of hospitalization and rehab and sometimes we need other people to help with the healing including the medical community 
But it was rather humorous when I went. They were so excited because they were the ones that had told me in 2001, you have every symptom of a spinal cord injury. Well, when I came back and I could grasp the doctor's hand in 2007, and they admitted me, they had a problem. How do you bill Medicare for improved quadriparesis? People don't improve from that. But I did, because God had a different plan. And he always has more than we can ask or we can think. And his promises are more glorious and more abundant than we can ever imagine. It started with forgiveness, and it's still a process. Um, you see me today walking, moving freely. Every day I'm growing a little stronger, walking a little further, doing different things for the first time. And I don't know where it's going to lead, but God does. And I know that he's in charge, and I'm not, and he's enough. And that's the kind of God we have who is enough. But we have to be willing to make choices. And we have to be willing to stick with our choices when we've repented. And so, as I've had thoughts about my mother come into my mind, or I've done this with other people as the Holy Spirit has prompted and showed me where there's anger, when those thoughts or the twinge comes back, by the power of Jesus Christ and his authority that's in me, I can say, no, I'm not going there. And so it's controlling your thoughts. But not because I can do it, because I've got some power. The power is through Jesus. And uh, so I'm going to close by singing a song that has to do with choices, and I invite you all to sing along. And afterward, there are um, CDs that I have and a children's book out there. My husband uh, graciously is running the product table, so introduce yourself to him, too, and visit with him. <laughs> 